If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open it to the book of Genesis. The word Genesis means beginnings, and that's what we're going to look at today. As we started our book a couple of weeks ago, we're now to day six. God creating everything from nothing. The Bible says God created. The word created means to create from nothing. What's really amazing, if you really look at this, you realize that everything we see is comprised of atoms. Yes, and those little critters that all hold together, making whether it's wood or metal or you, you know, the Bible tells us that God made everything from nothing. Electrons and neutrons clustered together, joined together, and making what we now know as things. Well, that the Bible says he made it all from nothing. Well, atoms are made of electron particles, which is something you don't see. Yet God made it all. Well, when we look at this book, Jesus quoted more from this book than any other book that he spoke of in the Gospels. We also find the book of Genesis referred to at least over 200 times and 165 different topics. The book of Genesis is real important because it is the foundational teaching for the Judeo-Christian principles that we enjoy, and then also to understand who Jesus Christ is, who would eventually come. Now, again, today we get to day six. This is the day that God made the animals and God made human beings. And this is a pretty exciting study as we look at it together. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would come, just as we ask you, Lord, as we sang, that your Holy Spirit would come and speak to us and cause us to better understand this great plan that you had from the very beginning to incorporate us all together in your love for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's interesting uh, when we find that God made everything. And as we've been studying, the Bible says, and God saw that it was good. Everything that God made is good. God made you God wants to do good things in your life. Well, as we look at this here in verse 24, and that's where we'll start today in Genesis 1. Then God said, let it bring forth living creatures according to its kind, cattle, creeping things, beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. According to its kind, you'll find this mentioned oftentimes in the creation process. We now know this to be what's called DNA. Cats beget cats, dogs beget dogs. It doesn't matter how many times you breed a large dog with a small dog, you'll still get a dog. You don't get a cat or a giraffe or something else. The DNA locks in what it is. Now, you're going to find big dogs and small dogs, but remember, a dog is a dog. Well, here's why that's important. Everything created after its own kind. This is one of the great problems with evolution that is taught so freely as fact in our colleges, in our schools, and that's because they don't really want to really examine what they're teaching. Because if they did, they would realize they got some serious problems. If you cross a, a horse with a donkey, you get a mule. But the mule is sterile. It cannot reproduce because the DNA locks out. 
And this is one of the problems that we find as we study what's commonly known as, as general evolution of things changing or transforming or mutating. Now, there is always going to be mutations in creation. We find that mutations are big animals, you know, you know big, uh, big dogs, small dogs, big horses, small horses. But when we get to what evolution teaches, that's called transmutation. That's where a cat ceases to be a cat and becomes a lizard. I don't know in their minds what they have, but the DNA will not allow that to happen. Now, unfortunately, Darwin did not know what DNA was when he came up with his idea. And that's all it was because it's not science. His idea of the evolution of species. Well, the problem is DNA prevents that from happening and we find the coding for it right here in the book of Genesis, everything reproduced after its own kind. If there is a uh, an attempt to breed two different animals together, you get a DNA lockout and it, uh, and it cannot reproduce. And so this is why the idea of, well, after billions of years of dogs having dogs, all of a sudden they have a cat. That doesn't happen. That only happens in the textbooks of, unfortunately, people who want to deny the existence of God. Now, he tells us here, God said, let it bring forth living creatures according to its kind. Living cattle, creeping things, beasts of the earth, each according to his kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. By the way, when you see its kind, its kind, its kind over and over and over again, God is making a point here. It's not that God's, uh, uh, I don't remember, you know, if you're older, well, by the way, if you are older, they are bringing back licorice pizza, okay? Now you say, what's licorice pizza? We commonly knew those in the early 70s, late 60s as records. You know, they were big, round, flat, and black. That's the name licorice pizza. Okay, you got that. Well, the thing is, they say they sound so much better than digital, so they're getting away from CDs. They say now there are more albums, vinyl albums being produced than the CDs. I don't know why that is. I don't know what that has to do with anything. I just thought I'd throw that out there. No, the point is, is this, is that albums would get stuck sometimes and, and it would go, and you have to go over and bump the needle. So it would start tracking in a different track. God's not having a broken record here where he keeps saying everything produced after its own kind. He's saying it on purpose because he's stressing a point. It locks out. Darwin did not know about DNA. For had he known about DNA, he would have known his whole theory was crazy. This is the problem that we run into. Now, how do they get around this then in teaching evolution? Just throw billions of years into the mix and somehow magically everything changes. Doesn't work that way, does it? And here's why. Because if you take the billions of years you need for evolution to happen, you've got the diameter of the sun out past Mars. 
Here's the problem with that. It's the second law of thermodynamics, the law of diminishing return. What does that mean? You light a candle, you come back in an hour, and the candle is smaller, okay? They've been measuring the diameter of the sun since 1850. They know how much it shrinks every year. And if you go back the billions of years needed for evolution, evolution does not have time to evolve. It would have all burnt up. The exact placement of the earth from the sun's surface. If it was 100,000 miles closer, everything would burn up. If it was 100,000 miles farther away, it would all freeze up. It was exactly planned and purposed. Now, why is that important? When you realize the intricacy of how God made everything, it shows you why you can believe in God. You don't have to park your brain in the parking lot when you walk into church. Well, I just believe it because that's what my church teaches. No, I don't ever want anybody to answer a question like that. There is evidence for faith. The problem is it takes more faith to believe in evolutionary theory than it does to believe in God creating the heavens and the earth and everything reproducing after its own kind. This is the great problem and the great dilemma. Now, here's the other problem that you have with evolution. According to them, which can't happen according to the Bible, which cannot happen according to medical science called DNA, everything reproduces after its own kind, that after millions of years, these forms slowly took on different form. Cats no longer look like cats. They started looking more like a dog, and then eventually, whammo, it's a dog. What's the problem with that? It can't happen. Now, here's the big problem where evolution becomes religion. And why it should never, ever been allowed to be taught in our schools or in our colleges, period. Because the main target of evolution is to get rid of God. That's the main problem with it. But here's what's important. In the evolutionary process, you need to have millions of transformations to move from a cat to a dog or whatever it might be. There are no fossil records anywhere of transitory or transitional life forms. Transitory being short form, um, uh, where, well, this was just a cat for a little while before it became a rat or something like that. No, there's no short-term uh, evolutionary proof or long-term. Over a period of billions of years, horses became giraffes or something like that. Can't find it. There are no fossilized records of transitory life forms or transitional life forms. There are no living examples of animals trading up. And as I shared last week and the week before, and it's such an important part, when people are going, oh, millions of species are going to go extinct. Hey, if you're a true evolutionist, don't worry about it. There's going to be a whole lot more in another week. See, that's the problem. They say one thing, but then their very statement contradicts what they believe. If you really believe, as an example, global warming is wiping out species, what's the big deal? Because according to your belief of evolution, there's going to be a whole new group of created creations 
in the not too distant future. So what's the big deal? And as a matter of fact, it's called adaptation according to you. And so the weaker species die off and the stronger ones survive. This is the great problem they have. They're in a, they're in a quandary. They're in a, what's called a, a um, mutually exclusive problem. You can't have it both ways. You can only have it one way or the other. And this is the problem. So when God says he made everything after its kind over and over and over again, God is stressing something here that this thing that we now know as DNA is so powerful and so locks out the transitory and the transitional life forms that we don't find it on earth. Where on the earth right now do you find any species trading up? You don't find it. Where do you find the monkeys turning into human beings? There should be millions. You know, it's so funny because you, you, you read some of these scientific journals and they, they get all queasy, you know, weak need over, we think we found the tooth from the, from the missing link. Have you heard these crazy things? And by the way, in that evolutionary chain where they show the monkey and then the monkey starts standing upright and then pretty soon, you know, his hair falls off and, you know, they got that whole picture. Well, they go back where they got all these different, the Piltdown Man and all that stuff that, you know, that stuff we all fell asleep in when we were in school. Thank God you did. But the thing is, as you look at that and you begin to find out where did the Piltdown Man come from? Where did the Neanderthal Man come from? And they find sometimes it was just an old man with, with, with arthritis is all it was. As they really examine and the people really and the one... They build a whole skeleton only to find that it was a tooth from an extinct pig. This is what is taught as fact in our schools. And the problem is with evolutionary theory, it is so poorly put together, it takes more faith to believe that than to believe what the Bible says. Verse 26, then God said, and this is where everything changes. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over fish of the seas, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. Wow. That says a lot, doesn't it? Well, first of all, let's look at this up close. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Who's he talking to? This is an interesting point. You'll never find anywhere in the Bible that angels are procreative. They're messengers, they're warriors, they're protectors, but they're not procreative. You also will never find in the Bible that angels were made in the image of God either. This is another interesting thing. So who's he talking to? Well, we have to go back to... Genesis 1.1 to find out who God is. Let's go back to it. 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What is interesting here is this word for God is not for singular. It's the word Elohim. And the word Elohim, speaking of God in a plural sense, in fact, it's even beyond plural. It's, uh, it's speaking of something greater than a plural, the triunity of God. You have people sometimes they'll say, well, there's nowhere in the Bible does it speak of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being God. Oh, contraire. 
It's all the way through the Bible. Jesus said, you tear this temple down, I'll rebuild it in three days. Jesus speaking that he would do that. In the book of Romans, it says that the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And in in that same verse, it says the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. You have all three claiming that they're what brought Jesus back to life. And yet the Bible here says that God is known to us, revealed to us through his name in a plural sense. Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. That was a pretty bold statement for for Jesus to make. As a matter of fact, they're going along talking with uh, Jesus, the Pharisees were. This is in the book of John 8. And in 8, chapter 8, Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, saw it, and was glad. The Pharisees said, you're not yet 50 years old, and you saw Abraham? And Jesus said in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. Now, this was a blasphemous remark because Jesus claimed to be the I am in the burning bush. Remember Moses saw the burning bush? The voice spoke to him, take off your shoes, where you stand is holy ground. Takes off his shoes, walks up to the bush, warm. God says, I want you to set my people free. God gives him the battle plan. He's on his way leaving. And Moses says, oh, by the way, who shall I say sent me? And the burning bush said, tell him the I am sent you. Oh, okay. Got his battle plan. Jesus then says, before Abraham was, I am. Ego amini. And when Jesus said that, the Pharisees were so outraged because they knew Jesus was claiming to be God. John 8, 59 says, and they picked up stones to stone him because claiming to be God was a capital offense. Now, you say, why is this important? Because of this reason. God reveals himself through his word in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know how they, you can be 300% of anything, but they are. God is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is God. In fact, we remember when when, uh, Jesus rose from the dead, Thomas said, I'm not going to believe Jesus rose from the dead till I put my fingers in the holes in his hand and thrust my hand into his side. That was a big hole that Roman spear made. And when Jesus appeared behind locked doors, because they were all fearful that they were going to be next, he goes to Thomas and he said, Thomas, Thrust your hands into my side, into the holes in my hand. And Thomas fell to the ground and he said, my Lord and my God. He claimed to be God. Interestingly enough, Matthew chapter 1, we're coming up on this time here in the next uh, 60 days or less. Christmas. Now, most likely Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December. I believe personally he was probably born on the 1st of Nisan. That's uh, their, their actual physical new year, not, uh, not uh, Yom Kippur and all, but actually the beginning of time. 
But the point is, is that it's a day the world recognizes that Jesus was born. And so therefore we celebrate it. The point is that Jesus came to this earth. He stepped out of eternity into time and walked with man he created. And because he did that, makes him so uniquely different than any other picture that we would have, that we would know who Jesus is. Now, you say, why is that important? Because of this. God created man in his own image. And notice it also says that he created in own image and in the image of God, he created them both male and female. God loves ladies and God loves men. Isn't it interesting that as our world spins farther and farther away from God, literally every day, every year, we, we can't even get this part of creation right. Have you heard about gender-neutral things of late? Have you noticed in the paper concerning North Carolina that, unfortunately for the people in that state, they don't even know which bathroom to go into? That's where it all started. This idea of there is really no difference between men and women. That's what our colleges are teaching our kids now. There's no difference. But as a matter of fact, there's a tremendous difference. And the thing is, a woman being a woman is operating at 100% of what she is. A man being a man operating at that capacity is 100% of what God created him. When a man tries to be a woman, he will never, ever, ever operate at 100%, nor will a woman trying to be a man. Now, why is that? Because God made different. He made a woman, he made a man. Now, why is that important? Well, because when you get the very basics of nature confused, everything else will be in upheaval. This is one of the great problems that we have in our society today. This is why people are so afraid. Many pastors won't even touch on what I'm sharing on today. They're afraid of offending people. Oh, it's nickels and noses, and we got to keep that budget up in the church. No, you got to tell people the truth. There, there, there is a difference between men and women. And listen, any LBGT person listening, you can cut, you can chop, you can add, you can do whatever you want to do, but your DNA will still scream, you're either a woman or you're a man, and all the chopping in the world ain't going to change that. That's the bottom line. You can try to make yourself look like a woman, but unfortunately, your DNA says whatever it is you were born with. This is a problem. People don't want to know that. And this is one of the great issues. Now, you say, why is this important that we are created in the image of God? In fact, I I did some study on this, and I never found an answer that I really settled with until I, I, I really began to pray, and I got to thinking about what Jesus said about all of us, his creation. You know what that is? Notice this. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image, According to our likeness. And by the way, this is not said for animals. Animals are, share some similarities of human beings. Some share more similarities than others. But the point is, is that God did not create animal kind in his image. 
only human beings in his image. And why is that? Well, likeness is, is probably an image type that we could say, well, God has this basic kind of form that we do. Uh, his likeness, it says, and of course, his image would be the ability to know, to create, to think, to respond, to have conscience, all these different things. Animals don't have that. Oh, I know some of you think your animal loves you, but I'll tell you something. If you're, you got a dog and it's hungry, and you say, oh, you're my, you're my best friend. It's, and then you have a hungry dog, and then you have somebody else over here with an open can of dog food. Do you know where he's going to go? We have a saying called follow the money. They call follow the food. And they're going to go to where they get fed. This is one of the things. See, the thing is, a lot of times animals' loyalty is in their provision. But our provision in God, God's loyal to us, even though we have not been loyal to him. But this is one of the greatest things that we see as we've studied and we hear about. And if you're born again here today, you're a Christian. You are the bride of Christ. That's who you are. Now, the devil will do everything he can do to convince you that you're a loser, you're a failure, you did things wrong, you're not worthy of God. Yes, I know. I've heard it all before as well. But here is what is so important. And this is what I've never read. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. If God had not done that, friends, we could have never, ever been the bride of Christ. It would have been too unlike like trying to marry a dog or marry a horse. It's too different. But because we were created in the image of God, gives us the ability to be the bride of Christ. You see, that's so important. If you miss that, you miss the entire story of the Bible, how God created man, but he created man for something much greater than just to exist like an animal, that someday you would be his bride. Many people believe that this very thing that we're reading here is what caused the beginning of the revolt and the war in heaven. Where Satan in, in, in Isaiah chapter 14 says, I will ascend. He said, the Bible says he was filled with pride. I will ascend and be as the most high God. And interestingly enough, a third of the host of heaven, the angels, revolted with Lucifer. What was it that happened that was so majorly dynamic that a third of the host of heaven would rebel with Lucifer? And I don't know what it is. The Bible gives us some clues, you might say, but I think it comes back to this verse we're reading. God made another creation other than the angels, but he made them, the Bible says, a little lower than the angels. But then those that believe in him, he'll elevate above the angels. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6 says, whereby you will judge angels someday. Why would we do that? Because I believe that in the fall of Satan... Probably sometime when they were in the Garden of Eden, when the plan was revealed that God someday would elevate these new class, this lower class of human beings above the angels and then call him 
Jesus's bride didn't sell well with the devil. And I believe this is why the devil and his demons have been hammering on human beings ever since the beginning. Why else would we find in 1 Corinthians where he says, don't you know someday you'll judge angels, speaking of fallen angels, demonic things, because of what they've done to human beings. Have you noticed the people who think, well, I'm not going to be a Christian. I'm going to be on the devil's side. Ever notice that? You hear about sometimes, soul their soul for rock and roll. Okay? But when you really look at it, are these people happy? No. There's something wrong. You would think a person that is serving the devil would be, would be joy-filled and happy, and, and, but they're not. Why? Because there's something that aches within the soul of man, knowing that you are created, I believe, as we're reading this right here, for a higher calling than just to exist every day. Friends, that's who you are. You are not just created like an animal to eat and sleep, but you are created in the image of God to give glory to God because someday you're going to be married to God, as the Bible tells us. That's the bride of Christ. You see, when we begin to realize that your calling as a human being goes far beyond that of just existing every day. This is why I believe the devil tries everything he can do to drag us away from the perfect place of God's purpose for our life. And this is where I I believe this is what this, this whole thing comes in about the demons hammering on human beings. Look, look at the man of Gadara, filled with many demons, supernatural strength. Oh, that sounds kind of neat. Do you realize he was suicidal? The Bible said he would cut himself and all these different things. A person that's possessed is no longer in control of their own faculties. They're, 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 they're being controlled like a puppet from something else. The devil wants to destroy human beings. The demons want to destroy human beings. What would cause this hatred of the devil and demons against humankind? I can only tell you one thing. You're the bride of Christ, and the devil knows it, and he hates you. That's why greater is he that's in us, speaking of Jesus Christ, than he that is in the world. And we need to remember that, because again, because we were created in the image of God, and the angels weren't, we then have the ability to be his bride. That's pretty neat. You see, that whole picture of God, God creates everything is so amazing. It says we were created in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. It's interesting to me again, the devil does everything he can do to try to mess up the creation of God. He tries to mess up women being women, men being men. This is one of the great problems that we find, and many people believe as you study the scripture, and one of the uh, great things that bring upon the judgment of God on the world during uh, the tribulation period, as we just finished in Revelation a few weeks ago, the Bible talks over and over about sexual immorality, and it's talking, I believe, of homosexuality. You say, well, Mike, no, God loves everybody. They were created that way. Really? Well, what does the Bible have to say about that? Well, if you read Romans chapter 1, Romans 1, in the New Testament, Paul writes this letter to the Romans because of their looseness of society. Now, here's the problem with with living life your own way, not being in the confines of what God says. You need so much, you need so much for a society to exist. In other words, countries don't just exist, 
There's got to be a cohesiveness or a glue that holds society together. And anybody, if you study world history, will tell you the family unit was the number one thing is required for a nation to exist. Just the bottom line. Without families, without reproduction of families, without, without raising children in some kind of a form or, or idea or right or wrong, the country will not exist. It just disintegrates. So the family unit is extremely important for society and a nation to exist. So what does the devil go after? He goes after families. He goes after the children. He goes after human beings in general because that is the target because God created them male and female. And so we find this influx of what now was once prohibited now being called normal. And if you object to their normal, you are full of hate speech. Yet the Bible says, if you go down that path, you'll disintegrate. Do we see that in history? Yeah, Paul wrote that book, Romans chapter one, to the Romans. They had a similar problem as we have in the United States. And by the Roman empire, it disintegrated too. A lot of people don't know how Rome fell. Rome fell not because of invading armies. Rome fell because their borders were invaded. Now, it's interesting. The parallels are striking. Because what happens is you introduce different culture into your nation, and the culture that's introduced is not conducive for the nation to continue. And that's one of the great problems that we have. God created male and female. You get the very basics of family confused. What will follow from there is disintegration. It just always follows that way. He created them male and female. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish, over the birds, over the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields its seed, which is on the face of the earth. Every tree whom fruit yields seed, you shall have for food. I, I remember years ago this one guy said, he goes, well, see, man, God made pot for us, you know, to smoke, you know. I said, yeah, but the Bible here says it was for food. So uh, you, you're not going to do good with that. God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields. Also, every beast on the earth, every bird of the air, and everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Now, again, uh, God said it, God meant it, and it happened. Now, I, I think this is interesting. And God said everything that he saw he had made. Indeed, it was very good. So evening and the morning were the sixth day. I like that. Now, I, we talked about this before, that God made things in order. And I, God could have just went, World be complete. There's all functioning, okay? But he didn't do that. He did it in steps, okay? 
And I believe that's really important that if God's God and he does things in steps, remember God doing things in your life, he's going to do in steps. And also for you to remember, don't expect to get everything done the first day you try to start out doing something. In steps, it's done. Somebody said one time, inch by inch, anything's a cinch. You can do it. But the point is, is that God created things in order for a reason. Now notice verse uh, 1 of chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Man, God did that in six days. That is amazing to me. What's hard for God to do? People say, well, I don't see. It took billions and billions of years after the Big Bang when little swirly things were swirling out there, creating their own cosmos universes and, uh, and solitary planetary uh, type thing. And, no, no, no. God just said, wham, it's done. There's a design involved. By the way, if you do truly get into evolutionary uh, belief system, it's not, it's not science, um, God tells us in Proverbs, the eye and the ear, God made both of them. And I, I've shared this before, but it's so important. It's the odds of that, of, of an eye evolving is impossible. Because the eye has to have cells that are photoreactive to understand what it's seeing. And at the same time, a lens would have had to form to interpret what those photosensitive cells are seeing. And at the same time, you would have had to have an optic nerve form to go to the brain. And then you had had to have in the brain receptors that would understand what that optic nerve is sending it, you would have to have some way for the lens to focus upon those, those photosensitive cells that then could send the, the message on the optic nerve to the brain. And then the brain would have to have something to inside to interpret what this information is. How does, you know, hey, you know, there, there's a picture of a, of, a, of a tree. Hey, the brain says, whoa, I'm hungry. No, no, it all has to function and go to the right place. But it gets worse. This lens has to be lubricated. So tear ducts would have had to form at the exact same time that the lens formed. Otherwise, you would have had a tear duct going squirt, 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 squirt. There's no lens, but hey, it's coming, okay? Squirt, 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 squirt. But you also have to have something else. You got to have some way to protect it. So while it's going squirt, 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 then it just a flap of skin falls down on it, and that's your eyelid, and then that somehow that works together. With You start looking at, it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it ever would take to believe that God created everything. It is theoretically impossible for the eye to evolve. In fact, I read some, uh, some logistics on that. It goes into like these, these numbers of, of squared power times, you know, these big numbers that they can't even come. And they said, it's impossible. And all of this is based upon, now this is the other thing, not divine uh, uh, engineering as God did, but random happenstance, like a hurricane hitting a trailer park and making a beautiful diamond wristwatch running with batteries. It's impossible. 
And when you realize, and that's why I think God, interestingly enough, in Proverbs said the eye and the ear, God made both of them, the same problem falls for the ear as well. Where the eardrum would have to form inside your ear, not out here. How come your eardrum isn't on your cheek out here? Would you speak a little louder, please? But it's down in a hole, and then they realize that when you have a tapered cone, it concentrates the, the, the signal or, the, or the, the pressure waves so that the ear can actually discern very, very low-level sound. And then you have to have the hammer and the anvil and all those things in your ear to translate and transform that, that, that signal, that air pressure, into intelligible sound that goes through... The rest of the brain, and you look at this and you just go, if you want to believe in evolution, you go ahead. You have greater faith than I do. I just simply believe God made it all. Notice he says in verse 2, And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from his work, which he had done. God was really tired. No, I don't think God was tired at all. In fact, if you notice, and God said, let there be light, verse 4. All the way through, you'll see verse 9. God said, let there be various uh, waters. Let the the waters under the heaven be gathered together. You'll find all the way through, God just said, just spoke it into existence. But God rested to show us a principle. Do you know what you're reading about right here is the only known reason why we have a seven-day work week? The French, during the French Revolution, they tried to change it to a 10-day work week. That didn't last long. Why? Because we're designed on a seven-day pattern. If you look in, it's really funny, if you do a a lookup like on uh, Google or something like that. Why do we have a seven-day work week? They'll say, well, the Babylonians instituted this. And, you know, you, you, know, you guys are crazy. The Genesis came hundreds, thousands of years before the Babylonian uh, uh, nation ever came along. And God established the seven-day work week. It's interesting. The Bible says seven days thou shalt work and six, uh, uh, six days you shall work on the seventh you'll rest. I know some people that won't work any day of the week. I know others that will keep their nose to the grindstone and miss life. Now listen, if your day of rest is a Tuesday or a Friday or whatever, because you're a paramedic, cop, fireman, whatever it might be, thank God. But the Bible lays down a principle. Take one day a week and don't use it for gain. That's not getting under the law, friends. That's just getting back to God's design. Take a day off. You know, the Bible, Jesus was walking through a field and, and he was popping some kernels of wheat in his mouth or corn, whatever it was. It says it was, was corn, but it was probably wheat as he was shucking the field and you crunch it up in your hand and you pop it in your mouth. And the Pharisee said, ah, it's not lawful for you to harvest on the Sabbath day. That's how goofy they were. Fault finders, sin sniffers, they're everywhere. They're still around today. And Jesus said, he said, the Sabbath was not made for God. God gave you the Sabbath to take a day off. And God says, you take that day off and I'll take care of you. I will provide for you. Well, God gave us a day off. You honor God, God will take care of you. 
God gave it. And then Jesus said, and besides that, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Our Sabbath requirement in the law was fulfilled in Christ. But what's really amazing is that it's good, it's healthy for you to take a day off. Well, you know, Sunday I can get out there and mow the lawn. Well, I realize, you know, somebody said one time, well, they came to Jesus and they said, well, what if your donkey falls in a ditch? Is it lawful to get the donkey out? Yeah. Well, here's the problem. If your donkey keeps falling into the ditch on Saturday or on your day off, get a different donkey. You don't need a dumb donkey in your life. In other words, if you've got something that reoccurs over and over again, so you can't enjoy a day off. I'm not saying make it a law, but I'm saying if there's something that happens where you can't, then change your lifestyle. Change something about it where you can just say, Lord, thank you. The world, even the world recognizes it. Stop and smell the roses. Have you heard that saying? Well, that's what basically it is. Take a day off a week and enjoy what God's given you. Worship him. Thank him. You know, one of the things about coming to church that I have found in my own life, when I'm here with all of you, I begin to think about how God's blessed me. You know, know, Thanksgiving's coming up. But for a Christian, Thanksgiving is every day when Jesus is in your heart. Because the thanksgiving always requires me to take an inventory of what God's given me. And when I do that, then I realize what I can present back to God. God, how do you want to use these blessings that you've given me to bless others? You see, that's what thanksgiving is. You know, when we do that, at least once a week, we come together and whatever, enjoy what God's given you. See, isn't that good? I'm not telling you, get out there and work harder. I'm saying, You guys need to take a day off. And you need to do it once a week. And you need to enjoy what God's given you. And you need to put your kids on your on your on your on your lap and and, and hold them and, and tell them you love them. Because see, we can miss life because of all the stuff. Yeah, keep your nose to the grindstone. You'll never get ahead if you take a day off. Let me tell you something. God will do more in those six days that you honor him than seven days if you work. In fact, I had an old saying years ago. Whatever I used to do on my day off, I usually had to redo it. I don't know if that relates with anybody here. I cut a bunch of concrete out of my driveway one time to fix a water pipe, only to cut it all out, and the pipe wasn't even there. And I... And I I go, you know, God, sometimes it's just like I'll never learn. Enjoy God. Notice what he says. Then God blessed the seventh day, set it apart, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Enjoy God. Realize that you're not a cosmic mistake, but that God made you for his purpose made you above the angels. You're made in the likeness of God, which allows you then someday to marry Jesus as his bride. See, that's what God wants. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you're probably still trying to do it your way. And all I can say is, have you realized yet it don't work? You're not the one that makes the difference. There's something bigger than you that controls this world. It's called God. And I want to invite you this morning, if you've never given your life to Christ, what we repent from when we come to Christ is doing it our way. It's all about me. No, it ain't about you. 
And, and you're one heartbeat away, one, one, one illness away from checking out and leaving it all behind. So how much more then do you need to be about your father's business? And so we just come and we say, Father, forgive me for being selfish, living it my way, not trusting you, and realizing that there was a sacrifice made for you to make you clean. You see, that's why Jesus died on the cross, so that you could be forgiven. This morning, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you and to ask, to ask him to take away all, those, all that misguided energy that you've expelled over the years trying to be something, you say, Lord, forgive me, and whatever time I have left is yours. The Bible says God adopts you as his child. The Bible says to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Believe means put all your faith, hope, and trust in. This morning, if you've never prayed, we're going to pray. And you can ask Christ into your life. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I'm sorry I've lived it my way. And I'm not happy. So from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. So now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to be about your business. And thank you for eternal life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.